0: Welcome to One Life Online, a podcast that brings you the weekly sermons at One Life Church Kampala. In this episode, we listen to a sermon on Luke chapter six, verses 12 through 16, and Matthew chapter five, verses one through five, titled, Happiness, presented by Martin Muchoki. As you listen to this message, may the Lord speak to you through his word, by his spirit, and cause you to walk according to His will by His grace. Luke chapter six,
1: I'm going to read from verse 12 to verse 19. And I would ask you to turn also to the book of Matthew, to the gospel by Matthew chapter five, and you place your finger there if you're using a device, I don't know how you will do that. Maybe the screen can split or something like that. Luke chapter six, verse 12 to verse 19. I left off three weeks ago, having seen Jesus, saying that he's the Lord of the Sabbath. The Sabbath was not made for man. And now we continue with what followed after that time. And it came to pass, Luke chapter 6 and verse 12, in those days that Jesus went out into a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called unto him his disciples. And of them he chose, he ordained 12, who he also named Apostles. Now the names of the 12 are these: Simon, whom he also called Peter, and Andrew his brother, James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother, and he surnamed them Boanages, which is the sons of thunder, Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew the publican, and Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon called Zealots, the Canaanites, and Libias, whose son was Thaddeus, or Judas, the brother of James, and Judas Iscariot, who was also the traitor. And he came down with them and stood in the plain, and the company of his disciples, and a great multitude of people out of all Judea and Jerusalem, and from the coasts of Tyre and Sidon, which came to hear him, and to be healed of their diseases. And they that were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed, and a large crowd of, and the whole multitude sought to touch him, for there went virtue out of him, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Verse 9 of Matthew 5. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets who were before you. Our gracious and eternal Heavenly Father, we are very grateful for your word. We pray that as we look into it this morning, that you would speak to us wondrous things out of your law. We pray that your spirit would convict, would convert, would conform, would direct, would instruct, would rebuke, would encourage, would edify, would uplift in all righteousness so that we may be truly equipped for every good work. May your word have a free course in our hearts. May you cause us to hear your voice in simplicity and in clarity. May you apply this word to our lives, to our present circumstances, May you cause us to see Christ in all his glory, in all his splendor. And may you cause us to think of heaven, a prepared place for a prepared people. Speak to us, for we are listening. In Jesus' name we pray. If if there is one one quality that is sought so much in this life, it is a quality called happiness. If I was to ask by a show of hand, how many of you want to be happy? Oh, everyone would lift up their hand, I'm lifting up my hand, I want to be happy. I want to be happy all the day. When you go on social media, when you go on mainstream media, if you go say on YouTube, which is a platform where you can watch all manner of video clips. And you just go to search, and you type happiness. You see all manner of videos about happiness, about how you can be happy. Books have been written about happiness, seven keys to happiness, nine steps to success, three ways you can command your happiness, and so many other things that pertain to happiness. Songs have been sung. It's a secular song by a, a man called Pharrell Williams that is called Happy. Most of you know it because I'm happy. Everyone wants to be happy, and everyone in that video is dancing, and they are happy, and they're expressing their happiness. We want to be happy, do we not? Nobody wants to be sorrowful. But most times, all the ways in which the world Supplies about happiness are usually temporal. They are short-lived. They may give joy, but only for a few minutes or for a moment. They are short-lived. And then the next moment, the realities of life hit you. The difficulties of life come your way. And some sadness, some sorrow hits your way. So you wonder, I wonder, is there a way that we can get a permanent form of happiness? Some people try to distinguish happiness from joy. And they say happiness is is, is temporal and, and joy is permanent and all those kinds of things. I think it's a good idea. I'm not necessarily convinced by their argument, but it's a good idea nonetheless. How can we get a happiness that stays with us, that is there every day of the week that is not determined by circumstances, that goes beyond this life and into the life to come. Well, Jesus, as he begins this Sermon on the Mount, tells his disciples just how they can be happy. The word that is used there, blessed, also means happy. It means blissful. It means joyful. It means happy, happiness is what we are looking at today in the Beatitudes. Before that, we are told by Luke that it came to pass in those days that Jesus went into a mountain to pray. And this was so common with Jesus. This is consistent with the person of Jesus, with the life of Jesus. When we went through Mark, we saw in Mark chapter 1 and verse 35 that after a busy day of ministry where he healed, where he delivered, where he taught that in the morning, rising up a great while before day, Mark 1.35, Jesus went out and departed into a solitary place and there prayed and there communed with God. In the midst of a noisy world, you know our world is very noisy, isn't it? Very, very noisy. I was upset this week by by, by someone who was playing loud music, and I live quite far from the main road, but somehow I, it, it, it could still reach my ears and I couldn't sleep. If you're one of those people who can't sleep, if there's even a bit of noise, you know how that may affect you. And this was at night, say 2 a.m. in the morning. We live in the midst of a very noisy world, where we have border borders and vehicles, markets, welders, taxis, supposed churches bars hotels promotional events on lorries with blaring and blazing speakers that blow blow away your ears street preachers noisy neighbors vendors with portable speakers car horns government vehicles with sirens mosques ambulances parties and so on and so forth and you can add many other things than i have mentioned it's just too noisy In a very noisy world, it becomes very difficult to find quietness and to enjoy meditation, to enjoy meditation. Sometimes you go to visit someone and the natural inclination is to take the remote, turn on the TV while you are talking, and you feel, no, I want to enjoy the conversation with you and the time that I'm spending with you. It's a noisy world. It's very difficult to find silence. And this means that we must be more deliberate than ever, like Jesus, to depart into a solitary place and there commune with God. And there spend time with God one-on-one. Pray to God, fellowship with your Lord. Whatever that means, maybe for you it would mean waking up at 4 a.m. in the morning when everything is silent. Maybe you live near a nice park and you can go there and take a walk and be quiet. The necessity of meditation, of being alone with God, cannot be underestimated. So we learn from Jesus that he withdrew himself, this time to a mountain, a mountain where he could be alone, which was quiet, where one may feel closer to God. Have you ever noticed how all the prayer, fasting and retreat centers are usually on a mountain? You go, for example, to prayer mountain, you go to Mount Olive's Prayer and Fasting Center, because Jesus prayed on a mountain, in a a symbolic way you feel as if you're closer to God while you're praying from a mountain. Jesus went there to pray. Prayer is communion, prayer is conversation, prayer is dependence on God. It's talking to God, whether quietly or out loud. So Jesus prays for many hours, and the reason he prays a whole night is because there is a special event that is about to happen. He prays for many hours before making a remarkable decision. He prays for many hours preceding the call of his 12 disciples, of his 12 apostles. So when it was day, verse 13, what did he do? We are told that he called unto him his disciples. Mark says he called whom he would. And then of them he chose twelve. He ordained twelve, Mark tells us. And so he called his disciples. He summoned his disciples. And this was a effectual call, one that could not be resisted. Goes something like, Martin, come. Ruth, come. Fiona come, Godfrey come, Titus come, Jill come, and so on and so forth. He called and he chose the 12. He selected them. It's the word chose. He chose from. He chose among many of his disciples. And the 12 that he chose had no right to say, why did you choose me and not any of the other disciples, Neither did any of the other disciples have a right to say, why did you not choose me? But he chose that one. It's his prerogative. It's him who determined the 12 that he would choose, but not casting away any of them. So you wonder, why did he set them aside? Mark tells us Mark chapter three, verse 13 to verse 19. He chose them for two reasons. These 12, first of all, that they should be with him. That they should be there with him throughout his entire ministry, that they should learn from him, that they should work with him, that they should be with him so that he is not alone. Second reason is that he might send them forth, not only to be with him, but also to be sent. Sent to do what? Three things Mark tells us. First of all, to preach, to herald, to declare, to talk about the word of God and the work of God. Secondly, to have power to heal sicknesses. The 12 apostles were given power by Jesus to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. And thirdly, to cast out devils by the power of Jesus. And we shall see this as we go forward. And we shall see this in the acts of the apostles. So the names of the 12 are given there the 12 disciples of Jesus. So he took some of this with them. We have already seen a few, haven't we? In our our study of the life of Christ, we saw Simon, we saw Andrew, who was the first disciple really, and another unnamed disciple, who is likely among these 12, but we don't know. And he adds even more after some time. He even called the person who would betray him, Judas Iscariot. In all the gospels, they end with Judas Iscariot, who was also the traitor, who was also the traitor, who would betray Jesus. So he came down with them. He stood in the plain and the company of his disciples. So who are the them here? He came down with them. It's the 12 apostles distinguished from the other disciples that also followed Jesus. And not only that, there was a large crowd of curious on Lucas, skeptics, spies, idlers, religious leaders, Jews, Gentiles, sick people, needy people, all manner of people were there in the multitude. And so you thus have four categories of people, you have the Lord, You have the 12 apostles, you have an unnamed number of disciples, and of course, you have the crowd. The people had come from the southern part of Israel, so we are told, from Judea and Jerusalem, from way up north in the coastal towns of Tyre and Sidon, which is present-day Lebanon. And these people came for three reasons. They followed Jesus for three reasons, we are told. They came to hear Jesus. First of all, they came to listen to this man. What does this man have to say? They came also to be healed of their diseases. They had diseases and sicknesses that were incurable. And they knew that Jesus will heal me of what has been impossible to people. They came also so that they would be delivered from unclean spirits. Some came for all three, others came for two, some for only one of these reasons. Whatever the case, to those who came to Jesus for healing and deliverance, Jesus compassionately healed them all. That's what we read from that text. He healed all those who came. And what was the result of this? We saw that, as in other cases, it resulted into an endless healing and deliverance event. For Jesus has power to heal, and Jesus is merciful. Yet, he does not want them to miss his primary mission. He came not to heal primarily or to deliver primarily, at least not from unclean spirits, but he came to deliver them spiritually. He came to give them spiritual healing and to deliver from sin. So before they confuse his mission, before they forget why Christ came, Matthew tells us in Matthew chapter five and verse one, that when he saw the multitude, that all of them were coming to him only for healing, mostly for healing, he went up into a mountain and then he sat down and then his disciples came to him. When he sat down, they knew to stop. It's not time for healing. If he has sat down, then he's going to teach. How do we know that? Because rabbis, because teachers at that time, because as we have seen in the past, they taught, while they were seated. So he sat and everybody sat. There are some of those churches where you go, and I love that, where when the the preacher stands up to preach, or the pastor stands up to preach and he says, let's turn to the book of Matthew chapter 5. He doesn't even need to tell the people to stand up. Everyone just stands up at the reading of the word. Like they stood up in the days of Nehemiah and Ezra in Nehemiah chapter 8. It was automatic that when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and the multitude waited to listen to Jesus. So here is Jesus on a plane with the multitude. And now he goes up on the mountain to get a vantage point of speaking. And so the people sat on the plane where they could easily see him and where he could conveniently see them. Those who followed him, his disciples, from whom he chose 12, they, sat, they, sat, they likely sat close to the master. They wanted to hear from their Lord. And then we read in verse two of Matthew chapter five, that he, that he opened his mouth. As if someone gave him a key, or he took a key from his, from his pocket and he opened his mouth. You read that, you wonder, why is that there? Matthew says he opened his mouth and he taught them. He's trying to draw our attention to something important. This is going to be the greatest sermon that has ever been delivered in history. It's going to be the greatest sermon that will ever be delivered in history. No one will ever preach a sermon greater than this. Matthew records five teaching series of Jesus, five. And I propose to you, this is is the greatest. And he delivers a sermon, which we have now called the sermon on the mount. The sermon on the mountain. And we are being, our attention is being drawn to this. I don't know which is the best sermon you've ever had. In history, very, very strong sermons have been preached. People have been drawn to tears. An entire crowd has come forward and have said, you must pray for us now or else we are going to perish. And you may know some of those, such as Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God by Jonathan Edwards and many, many other sermons preached in history but no someone comes close to what Jesus will preach. From chapter five to chapter seven. No one can preach a greater sermon. No one has done it, no one will do it, except Jesus. So he taught them. The them is his disciples. It's his disciples. And you ask me, how, how do you know that them here is his disciples? Because Matthew is very consistent in his gospel. Those called disciples are always people that have made a personal yet public commitment to follow Jesus. Those are the people Matthew carefully distinguishes as the disciples of Christ. And he distinguishes them from the multitude. The multitude are just curious onlookers. They are people who are interested in Jesus. But they have not made a public Commitment, a personal decision to follow Christ. And I think every church has a mix of both. I would be ignorant to think that all of you here are born again. That would be foolish. It doesn't happen. You have a mixed multitude of people. So Jesus opens his mouth to preach to his people, his followers his children, his disciples, and he preaches to them in the presence of all other people. But you say, didn't he offer salvation to those who are not born again, to the multitude? He did. I believe so. In chapter 5 and verse 20, for example, he tells them that, except your righteousness, exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees. You shall by no wise enter the kingdom of God. So he's telling them, if you want to attain righteousness, don't look at those guys. Look at me. Listen to the righteousness that I offer. Listen to what I am saying. This is the way to please God. This is the way to the kingdom. And anyone who desires a part of his kingdom, to anyone who wants to enter into his kingdom, to anyone who wants to have a deeper glimpse of the kingdom of God, to anyone who desires the kingdom of God, to anyone who wants to be blessed, anyone who seeks after happiness, those who want a lasting and fulfilling life, the way to get that is opposite of what is offered by the world. The worldly way to happiness is is physical and material. It It is leisure. It is pleasure. It is Money, it is connections, it is fame, it is consumerism, it is fashion, it is beauty, it is design, it is technological advancement, it is positions, it is prestige. In a nutshell, it is things. Things. Get this, and you'll be happy. Told you about YouTube, right? Go to YouTube after, after the service, later in the afternoon, and type happiness. There's one particular video by a, Jap- a guy called, I've even forgotten his name. I think James Katz or something like that. But you just type, don't type it now, so type it later. When you type happiness, you'll see an animation of rats. It has about 33 million views. Go and look at that. that. That is a good illustration of what I'm saying the world offers as a source of lasting happiness. Unfortunately, it all just lasts for a moment. Ever brought a new toy to your child if you have children? And they are so excited, the first few minutes. My friend Titus over there, they bought one of those cars which have a remote control for, for my son's birthday last year. I'm not joking, it, it never lasted five minutes, a liter of five minutes. They had crushed it entirely. The only thing I have remaining is a remote. Sorry, Titus, but you know, it's just how it is. I only have the remote, which has no batteries. I don't even know where the batteries went. Then after that, they were sad. I'm like, you were you are happy two minutes ago, you are sad the next moment. So fleeting, isn't it? Those are temporal and fleeting. They quickly develop wings and they, they fly away. If you want real blessing, real happiness, this is the truth, verse 4. This is the truth. Blessed are the poor in spirit. You say, eh? It's not that bad, by the way. Matthew puts it better. Luke actually says, blessed are the poor. (laughs) Everyone is looking after wealth and riches. Luke is like, stop, blessed are the poor. Blessed are the poor in spirit. What does that mean? The idea is that of bankruptcy. Bankruptcy. When you are bankrupt, you are unable to pay your debts. You go into a state of insolvency. Everything that you have has to be sold off so that your creditors can be paid. You have no money, you're bankrupt. You hear sometimes a bank, a company, sometimes even a nation is bankrupt. Things are taken and and disposed to recover what is owed. You have a debt that you cannot pay. When a person is aware, when a person is awake, when a person is conscious of his or her spiritual wretchedness, of wickedness, that they are spiritually bankrupt, that person is termed as poor in spirit. As poor in spirit. One songwriter said, the song is called Rock of Ages, God, I come to you, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to your cross I cling. I'm coming empty-handed, I have nothing. One dead preacher said, if anyone thinks ill of you, don't be angry with him. For you are much worse than he thinks you to be. (laughs) And that's true, isn't it? You're laughing and I'm laughing because I know that. It's much worse. I am nothing without Jesus. I have nothing if I do not first have Christ. Whatever I have sums up to zero if the Lord is not with me. Zero without the Lord, nothing. Those that know that they cannot save themselves from their sin and miserable condition must trust Christ's righteousness. Those people are termed as being poor in spirit. Those who know they cannot, humanly speaking, fulfill the demands of the law are poor in spirit. They hide themselves in Christ, who perfectly fulfilled all righteousness. Those with such a humble spiritual evaluation of themselves, rather than a self sufficient self confident self dependence evaluation are possessors of the kingdom of God. How to possess the kingdom of God is for those who are poor in spirit, how to be happy presently and eternally be poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Why? You ask me why? The answer is applied there, isn't it? For theirs is the kingdom of God. Theirs is the kingdom of God. And so this is, this is how Jesus begins his teaching, his sermon. It must have sent shockwaves to everyone who was listening. Because teachers in that day, just like teachers today has not changed much. They say that the way to happiness is things. And Jesus now reverses that and says, no, that's not it. Material and physical possessions will not give you happiness much as you need them in this life. Jesus will not say that. In fact, the way Luke puts it is that, woe unto you who are rich for you have received your consolation. The person who is feeling rich, satisfied, the criticism is not, is not to people who are materially rich. For in the Bible, there were people who were rich and they were godly, like Abraham or Job or even David. So that's not the criticism. The criticism is those who are feeling self-sufficient. I have everything I need. I have no need of Jesus. Blessed are those who mourn. Those who mourn, they shall be comforted. And the mourning that Jesus speaks about is for sin, for your sin and for other sin, for communal, for national sin. Blessed is the person who, when they see other people sinning, they're not like, mm, I'm actually better than that guy. I'm actually doing better than him or her. You see, the standard of righteousness, of holiness, is the Bible. And this, this flattens everyone out. If I want to know how a good husband behaves, I don't look at another husband and say, I'm actually doing better than that guy or I'm doing worse than that guy. No, I look at the scriptures and just one look at the scriptures. I'm like, oh, I feel miserably as a husband. The standard is God's word. We mourn over our own sin. We also mourn over the sins of others. We mourn over the sins of people. We are like, what can we do? What can I do that this person would be saved? Maybe nothing, but I can pray. I can present the gospel to them. I can love them. I can care for them. I am mourning because of sin. The person who mourns like that, they shall be comforted. They shall find forgiveness for themselves. They shall find pardon. They shall be saved. In this very life, by the Holy Spirit, but even above that, in the life that is to come. That's another way to happiness. Another one, and before I come to the other one, Luke actually says, Woe unto you that laugh now, <laughs> for you shall mourn and weep. When I read this, I wondered, you know, I love laughing. And, and I, you know, I love humor, and I enjoy a good sense of humor. But I'm wondering, why, why is he telling us not to laugh? And I remembered one other preacher who died who said, We are nowhere forbidden to laugh. And I thought, yes, you read the Bible, nowhere does it forbid us to laugh. Oh yes, we can laugh. But here the laugh that Luke is talking about is similar to this. Woe unto the person who wants to live their best life now. Who wants to find their comfort now. Who does not care about their own sin or the sins of other people. Woe unto that person. They shall weep and they shall gnash their teeth in the life to come. Blessed are the meek, verse 5, Matthew 5 the meek shall inherit the earth. Have people ever knocked on the door of your house and they have said, we've come to preach to you? And those people, you realize, are called Jehovah's Witnesses. The Jehovah's Witnesses take this verse very literally. If you are meek, you shall inherit the earth. Now think. If you have a car or two cars, they're just waiting for everything to be finished. They don't need to buy a car now. That will be their car in future. If you have a house, they don't need to buy a house. Because once everything is gone, that will be their house. They shall inherit the earth. Everything shall belong to them. And it shall belong to them as long as they will be meek. If you have a little knowledge of the word of God, that could sound very convincing, isn't it? Because they have taken it literally. But if you just apply a bit of critical thinking and logic, you wonder, is this consistent with the nature and character of God? Is this consistent with the word of God? Is this consistent with what God says? You just go to Revelation chapter 21 and verse one. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven And the first earth had passed away and there was no more sea. So the earth is not even there. The things that you're hoping for that you will inherit, they won't be there. There'll be a new earth. So then what is meekness? Meekness has been defined as great power under control. Someone else said it is patience in the reception of injuries. A meek person is not ready to retaliate. Or take offense. Such a person is not easily provoked when others harm them. They are not prepared to do the same to the other as was done to them. I think the one person that exemplifies this the best is Moses. Moses. If you don't believe me, Numbers chapter 12 and verse 3 says, Now this man Moses was meek more than all the people who lived on the face of the earth. And think about all the trouble that the Israelites caused him. How many of you could have been able to bear that? I would not. Remember God being prepared to wipe all of them out and start over with Moses. What an offer. What a solid offer which he rejected, of course. He was powerful, yet he kept that power under control. Meekness can then be seen as the opposite of being out of control. It is being self-controlled. It is to reject the pride of power and self-importance. Jesus will later say, when you go, when you go to an event, don't take the front seats. And But you people, don't avoid the front seats. There are quite a number of seats here that are, that are empty, but he said don't take the front seats because someone more important than you may come and then you may be moved to the back and then you will be, you'll, be, you'll feel ashamed. I should have just sat at the back and wait to be brought to the front. It is to reject the pride of power and self-importance. I think that one of the most meek and gentle people I've ever seen are at One Life Church. And you say, are you only saying that because you're the pastor of the church? No, no. I'm telling you genuinely and honestly. Whether it's with our choir or our congregation or the people at the hospitality table, there are a few exceptions, you know, every market must have a madman. But for the most part, they are very gentle and meek people in this church. People who don't want attention. They They don't see themselves as that important. They just want to serve God quietly and just go home. They're happy to do that. The management of this place, oh, when they met with me and I told them, we want to have prayer meetings here, we want to have worship here every Sunday, and so on and so forth. And, I, and they asked, oh, when is the prayer meeting? First, I told them, first Saturday of the month, 9 to 11 a.m. And they said, oh, oh, I don't think you'll be able to have that here because we want this place to be quiet. I told them, okay, let's try this Sunday, I mean this Saturday. So we came the first Saturday, and they could hardly realize that we were here. And then I realized it's because of what they are used to. Whenever someone heals, hears, there's prayer. Uh, the noise that will be made there, the, the noise levels will just be over the roof. But we want to pray quietly and, and listen to each other. And I can hear people's hearts when they are praying. You are some of the meekest, gentle people I've, I've ever found. And I'm really grateful to God for you. I missed you those two weeks when I was away. I, I longed to be back to the church and to be with you and to see you again and to enjoy fellowship together and to sing together. For that reason, you shall inherit the earth. Say amen. amen. <laughs> The perfect example of meekness is none other than Jesus. Yes, exemplified in the life of Moses, but perfected in Jesus Christ. The control he had when he was looked down upon by the religious leaders, by many who are following him for the physical and material, for being humiliated, misunderstood, rejected, and eventually crucified, that level of gentleness, is impossible for anyone by their own ability. Only the Holy Spirit can produce it. Do you know how loving Jesus was? Someone said it's this way. He prepared the nails on which they would nail him on, because he is God. He prepared the cross where they would nail him on. He prepared even the people who would nail him on that cross. Who do you think prepared all that? gentleness, meekness. Only the Holy Spirit can produce it. Normally it is tit for tat. You scratch me on my back, I scratch you on your back. You do great, I do greater. You do this to me, I labor to do worse to you. It's the human tendency. But not Jesus. We let us say in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 to verse 30, Come unto me. Beautiful word, come, isn't it? I listened to the preaching of Dave Davis when I was away. And he was talking about come and go, and which one is more positive? It was an amazing preaching from Ephesians chapter 2. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I mean, one of the things that is so lacking is rest, isn't it? Just, just total, total rest. If you are like me, who, have five, who has five children and, and you are young, or you have three or two, you never have rest. Some of you have asked me, how was your trip to Kenya? I came more tired than I left. <laughs> because of the children, just from this place to the grandparents, to the great-grandparents, to the friends on all manner of places we came back with vicky saying i think we need a few days away just just we ourselves just getting that rest can be so elusive at times isn't it one of my prayers for years has always been god give me rest and contentment ever since i was in my 20s i tend to overthink things a lot so sometimes i don't have mental rest and and then you know having a young family now jesus says Martin, come to me, you who is laboring and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek, for I am lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light." There's a book by a guy called Ray Otland. It's called Gentle and Lowly. it's, it's, It's for pastors, really, but if you can find it, read it. I have one, but I cannot lend it to you because I learned when you lent a book to someone, they don't bring it back. So go and buy it somewhere, Gentle and Lowly, and see the heart of Jesus. And you shall find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If you want to be happy, the blessed person is a meek person. It's a gentle person. And that person is promised that they shall inherit the earth. So what does that mean? They shall inherit the earth. It is quoted from Psalm 37 verse 11. That's where Jesus is quoting from. Under the Old Testament, Israelites who are faithful to God were promised to live in the inherited land of Israel. And they were promised to live there in peace and prosperity. In prosperity and peace. What a blessing that is to people that never had land and rarely experienced peace and prosperity, even until today. The land was therefore synonymous with bountiful blessings. When they would think of the land, they would think of rest and blessings. And Jesus uses that same idea to say, those who are gentle will not necessarily have many houses or much land or multiple cars or a lot of property or things, but they will receive true blessings of eternal value. God will bless them with spiritual blessings. And yes, I know, I know The propensity is to think of our needs now, now. And we are bogged with so many of them, aren't we? There are so many troubles, there are so many needs, and some of them we keep asking, when will this come to an end? When will this ever lower? When will things get better? Only when Christ returns. That may sound like bad news to you, but that is the best news that you can ever hear. Because, like me, your prayer every day will be, even now, Lord Jesus, come. Every time I'm talking with my wife, the conversation almost ends. Jesus, come. My wife always says, I, I, just, I just long for the coming of Jesus, just, just so that we go home. I don't know who would want to live in this world. Why would you want to live here? What would you live for? So whether young or old, whether single or married, whether child or adult, there has to be that longing in the Christian, for home, for home, where we will inherit those spiritual blessings in a permanent way and in a lasting way. Happiness, brothers and sisters, is found in those who are meek. Happiness is found in those that mourn, mourn because of their sinful condition. Happiness is found in those who are who are in spirit. If you have been looking for happiness, if you've been looking for blessings, may your search come to an end with this teaching of Jesus. May it come to an end today. It comes to an end by looking at what Jesus says is lasting happiness. Our gracious and eternal Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this day. We are very grateful for this sermon that you preached, first to the apostles, then to the disciples gathered around you in the presence of the multitude. We thank you that this sermon also is applicable to us today, that we find our place in these words. Are there implications that pertain? our life at this present time we pray that your word may be effectual to us today tomorrow and the week to come we pray that we would look for happiness in the arms of jesus we pray that you we would go to the place of blessing which is you christ jesus and because we are so We are so prone to looking for happiness all around us. Forgive us and open our eyes, our inner eyes, to behold the beauty of Christ and the joy that Christ offers and the bliss that Christ gives and the happiness that knowing Christ produces. Help us to be joyful, joyful all our lives. And when there are setbacks and difficulties and disease and financial lack and material issues, return our hearts to the rock that is higher than I. Help us because we are weak. We need you, O Lord, and we come to you who is gentle, who is lowly. We turn to you and not to ourselves because we know that your burden is light and your yoke is easy. And because we know you fulfill the promises that you give that no one who comes to you will you ever turn away we come to you in jesus name
0: thank you for listening to god's word today feel free to contact the pastor on phone at 0705 581 369 or send an email to pastor at onelifechurch.ug Or follow us on Facebook at One Life Church. And subscribe to our YouTube channel at One Life Church Kampala, Uganda. One Life Church is a multicultural community of believers equipped to serve Christ's mission.